Hey, everybody. Welcome to Music Therapy. This is our 100th episode. What have we learned after 100 episodes? Stay tuned to find out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I am also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a mental health podcast about mental health, creative process, and music careers. And boy, the show has grown a lot. I didn't even mean to start a podcast when I first started doing this, and it turned into one. And today we are celebrating our 100th episode. I'm really excited to share all these reflections uh, with you guys. There's been some common themes that have come up in the episodes. And so we're going to talk a little bit about where we've been, what we've learned, where we're going. Joshua Wentz, who engineers the show, is joining me for a conversation all about uh, reflecting on on what we've gotten out of the show so far. I hope you guys enjoy. We're not going to do a group session this month, um, but we will be having one in October with Asi Asi, a Chicago band. And that'll be October 12th, Wednesday, at Cafe Mustache. My band is also playing at Sleeping Village on October 5th. That's a Wednesday night, and we are opening for Vanishing Twin. This was supposed to happen uh, several months ago. We pushed it back. Vanishing Twin pushed it back. We were more than happy to push it back with them. So please come out. I'm so excited. This is the first time we're going to be playing Sleeping Village. Um, again, that's October 5th. All right. Let's get to some reflections on 100 episodes. Uh, before that, I'm feeling a little I'm feeling a little wild today, so I threw in an old track just to have a little music on this episode. This is an old track I made under the name Deadbeat, and this is called... Disco Smile. Okay, that was Disco Smile. That's uh, that's off an album I made called Chaos the Diva. It features Aaron Brace on drums and has samples of Charles Joseph Smith. Let's turn now to my conversation with Joshua Wentz on 100 episodes of Music Therapy Podcast. 
I'm Jessica Risker, and I am here with my friend, bandmate, birthday boy, <laughs> and engineer of music therapy, Joshua Wentz. Hello. How's it going? Good. We're here to reflect. Uh, this is a very therapist thing to do, is to reflect, and the, the reason for the reflection is this is our 100th episode. <laughs> Pretty good. You know, a lot of podcasts I don't think get to uh, 50. So getting to 100 is pretty great. I learned the term pod fade as I was learning about podcasts, which is where you get discouraged and kind of trickle off. And so far, I'm not going to say I haven't been discouraged, but (laughs) so far we have, we've kept the train going. Persistence Uh, is key. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so we're getting together tonight. Uh, here at Josh's house in his studio in his basement to just kind of think about what we've gleaned <laughs> from uh, all these musicians that we've talked to and some therapists too, some takeaways. Where should we start? I don't know. You wanna, I mean, you start every episode with a specific question. That's right. So I ask, you start with that. Yeah, I ask every musician that I talk to what a typical week looks like for you. And the spirit behind that question is to give the listener um, and, and listeners, I think, often being uh, musicians themselves, an idea of what a musician's life can look like. And the takeaway, the takeaway is that it can look really different. Yeah, there certainly are a lot of different answers to that. I, I haven't heard anyone replicate mine, which is get up very early in the morning and work on music. That doesn't seem to be the, no, the common one. Not at the ungodly hour. <laughs> what time do you wake up? Four four thirty. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, maybe go to bed at four four thirty. That that's probably more likely. But yeah, I mean, think I I couldn't. I was trying to think of a percentage, but it's there's no clear majority. I think some people have kind of what you and I have, which is a more structured day job week um, where music it fills in the spaces outside of that. And other people will often start like, well, you know, this isn't a typical week, but my weeks look really different, and that yeah is also very common. Yeah. And even from, you know, month to month, I think things shift. If you, if you have a regimented life, you still can have times where all of a sudden you have something you have to do in the evening now, or maybe you're taking a class or maybe you're working with someone on a project that changes your schedule. And so there's always, you know, a a caveat of, uh, well, this is what it looks like right now. And I think everyone kind of goes that way. Right. Right. There's always (laughs) that kind of qualifier, but, uh, you know, I think, I think it's been interesting because some people really fill their days with music, even if it's not working on their own music. Yeah. They, maybe they're a music teacher yeah. or a session session musician or, or something like that, or engineer. Or, you know, the people that we've interviewed that uh, own labels or... Yeah. Uh, Cole, who owns a bar. Right. So his schedule is, you know, wildly different, but also very much tied to music. Yes. Whereas other people and this, I would include myself in this group. I actually prefer that my day job is not music. I like coming to my own music with this, maybe a fresh freshness yes. that I haven't been thinking about music all day. In fact, our, our episode with uh, the members of Cordoba, I think almost all of them do something with music for right. work. Right. And they are amazing musicians and it shows, but also several of them talked about how that can sometimes feel like a lot of music. Yeah. I think of all the bands that I know that you've interviewed, uh, I can't believe how many different projects every member of that band is in. Uh-huh. Uh, I saw, I saw uh, three bands on Saturday night at Cole's this past week, and Zach was in two of the bands. Uh, Eric was in two <laughs> of the bands, and uh, Kalyle was in two of the bands. Okay. Um, and so each one of them, I think ex- with the exception of Eric, who, uh, who I think plays in more bands than anyone else I know, he's the, he, you know, plays horns and flute and bass and yeah. synth and everything. And he's just always constantly playing. But, uh, you know, two of the three projects were projects that were centered around some members of Kodoba, like their side projects mm-hmm. or their alternate projects. Um, but I was just like, yeah, it's the same old crew, man. If there's if there's one person from Cordoba in a band, there might be three of them in that band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. And that's, I mean, you know, thinking about people's uh, music life, there are a lot of people who are in multiple projects and that can obviously mix up your weeks because one band may be going on tour for a little bit or working on something. And yeah, I think the other thing also that kind of drives people's, uh, you know, their, the amount of energy they can give to music in a week also has to do with, are they currently promoting a project or do they have to be, you know, being more online than they normally would like to. I think that's something that comes up a lot on the show is like that, uh, like people like, well, I'm currently touring, so I have to constantly be on Instagram and I have to be making content for that. And that kind of changes my, the cadence of how I live because now I'm not just like going about my business. I also have to think, am I strategically using social media or something like that? Yes. That, I mean, that is definitely thinking about takeaways from, from all these episodes. Something that comes up over and over again is people's relationship with social media. And it's usually a tortured one. Yeah. It seems fairly negative. Yeah, it does. Across the board. Or a, um, a necessary evil. I suppose. Yeah, I think everybody would say this This is part of what you sort of have to do, but I don't like it. Right. Uh, I think a lot of musicians tend to... I, I think you even mentioned this on the most recent episode that aired. Uh, with Uma Blue? With Uma Blue uh-huh. about um, having to put on all of the hats as a musician. Yes. Uh, you have to also be your marketing. You have to be a uh, promotion. You have to be a booker. You have to be a graphic designer sometimes Mm -hmm. all of those things and it weighs on people i think a lot of i'm sure there are some people that love doing all of the stuff and it it speaks to them and and doesn't wear them out but it is kind of unfair that uh to just want to go and play guitar somewhere you also have to be good at photoshop right or even you know speaking you know speaking positively about yourself all the time that you shouldn't have to do artists shouldn't have to speak positively about themselves all the time (laughs) i mean it's it's a lot of roles and it's when you're divided in that way even though i agree that some of the some of the different roles like i really enjoy doing video work but it's hard to get really really good at one thing yeah if you're having to do a whole bunch of things and uh definitely just feels like that's that's the way it is right now but um people struggle with that and it's it is a lot it's a lot to manage yeah and they're one of the things that comes up often on the show especially if i'm involved is authenticity um (laughs) and i think with social media there's an expectation that it's coming from you i think people can tell when a a social media account isn't run by the the artist or celebrity or Mm -hmm. actor you can definitely tell there's a vibe there. And especially with music, it seems like we want to make sure that the people that are posting are the people that we care about versus their team. You're saying as a, as a fan, you want it to be the person. Yeah. And I think that that is felt by the artist as well. Uh huh. That pressure expectation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, that, that, that makes it so that you can't just hand off the work to someone else necessarily. Yeah. So there's a bit of a conundrum quite the conundrum. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, you, you go on. (laughs) (laughs) You're not super, uh, super online. You know, I think some of the people you've interviewed have been like extremely online. Yeah. Right. And I don't think you really fit that. Well, let me, cl- let's clarify. I am super online when it comes to like reading news and that <laughs> right, kind of thing. Okay, but I'm not sure. super online when it comes to social media. Yes. Yeah. You know, and even, the th- you know, I sometimes have thought personally, it's like, oh, if I have a project, should I be using my personal account for my project? Mm-hmm. Should I, or should those be the same thing? Or am I dividing up an audience by not having, by having two places for them to look at something? Um, Right. And, you know, it seems like that's a question I think a lot of people ask themselves as well, is how how much do I give to this, you know, this amorphous network that could also just disappear the next day? Like, we could wake up and yeah. meta has dissolved. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay. My mind's, my mind's branching out, but... <laughs> Yes. And that, that leads to something that I want to talk about more on the show has come up here and there, but 
to your uh, one of your preferred topics of authenticity mm-hmm. and something that I've struggled with and I know friends have struggled with, talked talked to Molly Madden of Uma Blue about it, fresh on my mind because we just released that episode, is the idea of music and your identity. So do you have your own personal account and is that your music account? Do you live behind a band name and is that liberating in some ways or what does it mean if you use your actual name for music? How does that feel? Right. What does that do? Yeah. I've never, when we discussed on my episode, I'm, I've never felt like I could have a band name that's a project of, that's not, like that wouldn't be a band. You know, some people are a band name and it's just a solo project. Right. Um, that really isn't something that I've ever really considered because it does feel fake to me. Like <laughs> being a character. A, yeah, yeah. Um, unlike some people that you've interviewed that are specifically use that as a strength for their performances, for their writing. Yeah. Is like, a channel. Yeah, becoming someone other than themselves, uh, which is actually, I think, very commendable. I think that's a cool way of writing. Um, I know people that can kind of write these, I mean, I want to say story songs, but just, you know, songs that aren't about them or their lives or about something, mm-hmm. you know, it, it could be completely fictitious or it could be something they saw, uh, a news article that inspired them and then they kind of, you know, create this world around it. And that's just never been the kind of music that I make. So it's hard yeah. to kind of see see it from that angle. But I'm always impressed when people do that. I think there's people who create a persona because they enjoy the creativity behind creating a persona and imagining yes. <clears throat> what yeah. that persona would do. <laughs> and it gives them some space. And there also seems to be a desire to have a band name or a persona because it feels less vulnerable, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. It's not like this is me pouring my heart out. This is my van name pouring you know when we we talked with um nick duerden on the episode about fame and what right. happens when fame fades we talked about robbie williams yes who right. told rob or uh, robbie depending on where he is right, right robbie is his stage name but rob is who friends and family yeah call him he had to have this this division this gap between i kind of feel that way with uh another person you interviewed andrew saw mm-hmm. where his stage persona is so well crafted that I can't even, I can't imagine what he's like if he's not on stage. <laughs> I, cause I've never met him uh-huh. and, and talked to him out, outside of uh, a show. Yeah. So it's just like, he's so, he's so much that person. Yeah. It's so well done that then I'm like, Hmm, is, is that where he, if he's in Walgreens, is that how he's acting too? I don't know. <laughs> how does that, so how does that shape your relationship with him or someone like him who's, who's done this character? this persona so well i'm super okay with it if it's other people i actually i think that's very interesting i think that when someone can whether they're flipping a switch and becoming another person or whether they are an an authentically unique character in in their real life Mm um i'm totally i'm totally on board i'm there for the ride i think that's very cool uh people that wear costumes or like do their hair a different way or you know just put on a show i think that's really really pretty awesome just never felt like something for me yeah (laughs) you know so speaking of other people uh and social media kind of going back to Mm. going back to this one thing that comes up over and over again and people really respond to it is the experience of comparing yourself to other people on social media. So comparing anything from what it appears they're producing or doing shows, they might be playing venues, they might be playing tours or dumb things like likes, a lot of followers and likes. Yes, for sure. And the, nature of you know booking shows also you know i find a lot of people saying oh if you follow me on spotify that actually helps my numbers and then i can say look how many followers i have i can book this show mm. because it's impressive to someone uh-huh. um not you know completely ignoring the fact that i could go on here right now and before the end of our recording i could probably have 
10,000 followers on my Instagram just by buying them. Right. Right. Um, how hard are they looking at it? Is it, you know, how important is that? Um, but some people consider it important. Yeah. I think a lot of times, especially with electronic music, like DJs, um, I think it's very important that they have a draw to book certain types of venues to uh-huh. do certain, you know, so they're not going to get asked back if they can't bring people in to buy drinks, you know, which is then becoming this weird commodification of your art. And I think that it always rubs people the wrong way when they're, they're asked to show their worth by likes or clicks or listens when really it should just be, I'm making this stuff. Do you like it or not? And do you want to have me play at your show or not? Yeah. But it's a business, you know, right? I mean, at the end of the day, uh, a venue wants to have a certain amount of people there to make it worth the time to pay the sound engineer, the, the bouncer, the bartender. Right. And so, you know, when you get caught up in that, uh, it can be demoralizing, especially when you see other people that are, maybe have more success in that realm. Yes. The way, the way that you're talking about this, which is very true, is like the, uh, I guess we'll say the, the perceived importance of the outside. No, this is going to sound dumb. I was going to say the perceived importance of the outside perception. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> uh, just how it looks from the outside to yeah. to a venue or whoever who might be booking you and, and that being a gauge and, you know, that seeming, we'll just call it silly. Sure. On some level. Yeah. Uh, but also I think when another artist is, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it from the individual internal experience where another artist is looking at somebody else's photos or the video that they just made or how many likes they get or comments they get on and, and just feeling like, you know, just questioning what you're doing. Am I not doing enough or am I not as likable or am I not as good or popular or pretty or cool. Mm -hmm, I don't know. mm -hmm. Just all those feelings that come up that feel pretty bad. Yeah. I, I feel like if I was a younger person, Mm -hmm. um, I might get sucked into that a bit. Uh, I feel like at this point in my life, I, the, the veil is lifted. (laughs) I I see it all as artifice essentially. Uh Um, but do you, do you think, I mean, kind of in your world of therapy Mm -hmm. do you see that same thing playing out with people that aren't even artists yeah people mention that 100 percent. yeah i mean there was that article recently about how teenage girls feel so much worse about their appearance because of instagram right i i heard it referred to once as instagram is showing you a postage stamp sized piece of a mural in the sense that it's a very highly curated um version of a life that people want you to see and all of the stuff yeah. outside of that frame is their real life. Right. All of the messed up stuff and all of the times they decide to wear sweatpants and not get out of bed, <laughs> but they're never going to show you that they're going right. to show you their sunlit sunroom with all their plants and how much they love life and are enjoying it. Um, and, and the happy, happiest moments on tour and the big crowd in the room. Right. And it's really tricky. It is really tricky because on one hand, I feel like sharing those moments as the, as the person sharing them, is beneficial and, and rewarding and maybe helping mental health, right. To be able to be like, Oh, I I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I'm playing radio city music hall. Wow. I'm proud of it. I worked hard and and all that. And you want to, you want to validate yourself in that way. And then at the same time, any of one in your audience that wants to compare themselves to you is feeling bad about it. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a weird, right? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. You know, other than, Knowing yourself and knowing kind of when you uh, when you start feeling bad about it, how to step away from it. Mm-hmm. I know I do that, and I, I mean I've even mentioned to you sometimes like editing the sh- the podcast. I'll hear someone talking about something they're doing, and I'm like, oh, I really wish I was doing that too. Mm. Um, uh, oh, um, Quinn Son. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and she was talking about her experiences with that, and I'm just like, that is so cool and it's exactly the kind of thing i like doing yeah um i haven't done you know since covid i've done one theater project uh and i haven't done any film stuff in a while and i was like oh i'm feeling envy yeah but i'm okay with that i think it's an it's an acknowledgement that you're like oh i'm envious of that of that opportunity she's had Mm -hmm. i think that's really cool i don't um begrudge her that opportunity right i wish i had it you know? Yeah. 
I do know what you mean, although you just negated the point I was about to make. I was about to <laughs> take the opportunity to say the podcast is meant to show people a little bit more of the rough edges and take away the veneer of Instagram. No, um, I think you do. I think that, I mean, that is, that is what the podcast does. I'm saying, um, I'm pulling out a specific accolade that someone did and saying how it made me feel, but hearing, you know, she also had a lot to say about, um, her feelings of me, I, I don't know if it, she mentioned imposter syndrome, but she kind of fell into a lot of opportunities there and she wasn't sure how she was going to actually achieve that stuff. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like all, uh, sunshine. And She's flowers. not even sure how that came about. She was like, this right. is just kind of what's happened. And she and, hates social media. I remember her talking about <laughs> really yeah. disliking. Yeah. But, you know, I, I guess this is, I'll, I'll take a, a therapist moment and I think envy when harnessed is a really useful emotion because it shows you where you'd like to go. I agree. I find it motivational and yeah. aggravating at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. There's a, there's a tension there. You know, okay, so this this all this whole conversation came out of the topic of of musicians' relationship with social media and reflections on that. And just by how long we've talked about this yeah. tonight, there's clearly so much feeling there and, and so many complicated issues that Absolutely. come from social media. Yeah. On one hand, I can't, you know, I was thinking it would be kind of a bummer if it was totally gone because I find out about a lot of shows and what people are doing, and I, I like that aspect of it. Right. But I, 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 I mean, I'm going to say most of the people I follow are musicians mm-hmm. or artists, illustrators, because I want to see their work and I want to see what they're doing and I want to be able to come see their shows. I've found many bands uh, and met them and gone to their shows when they come through Chicago via Reddit or, yeah. you know, any sort of thing like that. So, yeah, I wouldn't discount all of it. I do wish that it wasn't being harnessed into this weird. It's being kind of currently molded into this very uh, buzzy and uh, homogenous sort of world where they expect you to, you know, now like Instagram's a great example where they've changed an algorithm that's angered a lot of people because now they're, if, if they're not producing video content, mm. they're not getting as much views mm-hmm. and likes and, and interactivity, but they also don't want to be there for video. They didn't join Instagram to do video. Right. So now, you know, kind of if you're a musician, just posting your uh, tour poster is probably not going to be enough. You're probably going to have to do a lot of reels yeah, and make video content about you on the road and this and that. And like you constantly just pepper that in. And that again, that's work. That's not really what you're there it's for. It's a lot of adapting. Yeah. It's a lot of keeping up with that stuff, which is, which is a lot of work. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Let's move on to another topic. All right. Uh, we've got a list here. Josh, you should, can you pick one? Let's speak to you. I can pick one. Um, working with others. Oh yeah. <laughs> Collaborating. Yeah. That, that comes up a lot. It does. Yeah. I, I think, you know, the two sides of the podcast, one being the live cafe mustache group sessions mm-hmm. and the one-on-one sessions. I think you, I think you get different answers a lot of, on a lot of those working with others questions, depending on if the other person is in the room. I hadn't thought of that, but you're probably right. I, I think that, yeah, I mean, I, maybe that's part of working with others in general, but when you are in a large group or even like three, you know, three people, it's like you have decisions to make and it's when you're face to face, you can try to negotiate and yeah. you, you cues about whether someone's really upset about something. Maybe, you know, yeah. that changes things. Um, whereas I think if you're talking by yourself, it's much easier to go like, you know, yeah, you know, so-and-so all hates doing shows and every time we come up, you know, we come up with a book and they're like, I don't want to do that show. Uh-huh. And they cause trouble. But if you're in the same room with them, you might not say that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So people are going to, they're going to disclose differently. I th- I think, let's see, let's see if I can remember both the points. There's, there's a couple of things that I think about with collaboration. I takeaways. One is that some people love it. I feel like a lot of people maybe have grown to love it. Mm-hmm. They've, over time, opened themselves up more to other people's ideas and have felt that that enriched what they were doing. And that seems like a process. Yeah. There's, there's certain people that I think have a vision, have a very strong vision about how they want to produce their work. 
And those people, I think, have a harder time letting people in mm-hmm. because whether it's a trust issue or whether it's a feeling of, well, I'm, I have such a specific vision, I don't know if this person's even going to want to do that. So maybe I won't even ask them because I don't want to tell them what to do or I want to yeah. you know, start something, you know, confrontational that will then ruin kind of my feeling about this music. Um, whereas people that are kind of in it to, to be social, uh, can just, you know, spring up bands here and there whenever they want or yeah. invite people to do something, invite someone in to record a solo or be totally cool with their friend who wants to do album art, just do whatever you want. You know, yeah. Those, that, that is a, a totally different type of person. Um, and maybe they don't maybe they don't have as strong of a need to like really focus the vision of their work they're they're open to seeing what happens it's more about the journey than the destination perhaps you know i mean the other thing is is when i'm interviewing people on the podcast it's often the band leader mm-hmm. and so I know just from other musicians that I know who love playing music, but they're not interested in leading a band. They want to play and they're very into collaboration and enjoy that. Right. It's it's the band leaders that are really the problem. <laughs> really if the, only the band leaders could go away, then all the bands would be free. You know, yeah. I mean the other the other takeaway on working with others, and this has come up more recently, I've I've had a series of um interviews with I mean I've this isn't a new thing, but it's been like in a row, um, interviewing some women. Um, and it's come up repeatedly recently that some women struggle and they feel like it's, there's something specific about how women maybe deliver information or directives that feels challenging when working with the band. feels to them as though it's a lot to manage both essentially telling people what to do, but maintaining the relationships. Yeah. (laughs) That's interesting. Do you feel that way? 100%. Really? Oh yeah. Interesting. (laughs) You've had some of the most easygoing band members with my, excluding me. (laughs) I thought you were going to say this, but I've had, you know, the thing is, is now that was very stressful at first. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, us working together, we've worked together for so long now that we can weather the storms. Sure. I feel confident in that. Yeah. Uh, And that helps. That helps. Um, But yeah, it does feel, which I think is any, any management issue is how do you lead without alienating the people that you're working with? That is interesting. Uh, Yeah. I, I think about that a lot. Um, Not so much in music because my collaborative style is, if I ask you to do something, whatever you get, give back to me, I'm good uh-huh. because I just like the idea that someone's sharing what, you know, sharing their talent with my work. So I'm, I'm very rarely would I go, I mean, could that be a little different? Like uh-huh. never, I, I, I don't think I've ever done that, honestly. Um, but in my normal job, my day job working at a print shop, I'm an operations manager and I have to balance telling people what to do with making sure they continue to like me enough to do what I say. Right. Right. So I can't be, I can't really be as mad as I want to be about some things sometimes, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I like to, I I feel like I'm fairly good at playing the middleman in that scenario where if, if something's wrong, I can blame it on the boss. Mm -hmm. If the boss is talking about something, I can blame it on someone out there Uh and I can just sit right in the middle and feel real good about it. (laughs) Um, but then everyone likes me and I can get the job to, to work. See, I thought middle management was always the bad guy. Mm. See, that's what they want you to think. <laughs> Substance use. Let's dive in. All right. That comes up. It does. Um, it's been interesting in on this topic because you never know what somebody's not telling you, but people who have been willing to talk about substance use have been willing to really talk about it and talk about it 
in great detail and very personal detail. Yeah. And I'm really thankful for that because I think it shows, it shows a lot of vulnerability yeah. and, it, and, and it, I, I think anyone that hears, hears people talk about their, you know, trials and tribulations with substance use or abuse and with, um, you know, finding a balance in their life as well. Like some people have gone in a direction that has been, you know, detrimental to them. Um, and maybe now they're sober or, you know, whatever, but there are some people that have realized, Oh, you know, a certain level of this is exactly what I, you know, what I want to be doing. It's not, it's not bad. You mean like finding a healthy relationship with, yeah. 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 And, um, I, I think, the people that talk about it most on the podcast are probably people that have gone too far in, in yeah. the negative direction and have found their way out. Um, yeah, I agree but you've had a few people on that have, you know, have specifically talked about their, uh, the balance. Yeah. You know, and, and how sometimes they, maybe when they first started writing music, they felt like, they had to be high or something to, mm-hmm. to, to make it happen. Or people that say I have to be kind of a little buzz to get on stage. Yeah. Right. Um, but then you realize, I, I can't remember who specifically talked about the, um, the, how being drunk on stage is bad because it made them feel good, but then they got sloppy. Right. I mean, I think that's kind of a common thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, Was that Mike? Maybe. Mike Megan. Yeah. I mean, he, he came to mind specifically as someone that has, uh, found, you know, found where he wants to be Yeah. Uh, with regards to substances. It's, you know, from me, who, you know, I enjoy a drink. I have a nice cocktail bar upstairs, uh, but I've never done any drugs whatsoever. So I'm always like, hmm, I wonder what that's like. <laughs> I remember when I first moved, when I first moved <laughs> so no, to Chicago. Nobody offered Josh some <laughs> j- drugs. No. Don't offer me. I will say no. <laughs> Nancy Reagan taught me well. Um, the, the, uh, when I first moved to Chicago, I met an artist, uh, kind of an ambient electronic artist named Miles Tillman. And, uh, he's really talented. I don't know what he's doing these days. Um, but he definitely, he at one point had told me, he's like, I, I gotta be really stoned to write my music, you know? And I was like, no, I mean, cool. I mean, if that's, if that's your thing, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't think you do. I don't think you need to be. I uh-huh. think you, I think you can. I think you can get there. I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know. Everyone's got their own thing, but I've always felt like it's in you. you know? I think so too. Uh, you, Mike Megan spoke to that. I think he said, well, I, you can go listen. I think he said something to the effect of if you, if you feel like the only music you can make is when you're <laughs> yeah. effed up and maybe you're just not that good, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you're just not that good. Uh, which, which was funny, but I think I, I agree. I don't, I think it is romanticized. Um, and, for anybody listening who might be thinking about their relationship with substances, I, I truly believe you do not need substances to be a good artist or to create good uh, material. Yeah, I agree. And some other people have also talked about how, you know, the nature of playing live music means you're playing in in places that are more there to sell drinks than they are to I mean, sell music. Yeah. And you're stuck in that world um, and you're there late nights and you're there sometimes by yourself mm-hmm. or you're waiting a long time. You got there at four 30 and you wait and, you and wait, wait and wait and wait. And then, it's, yeah. And what are you going to do? Well, you get a free drink and then you, and you get free going, drinks. You get some tickets. Yeah. So it's, it's easy to slide down that, that slope. Um, I think, I think, I think honestly now, I mean, in Chicago, I've seen more mocktails and non-alcoholic yeah. beverages in venues than I've ever seen before. Totally. And I think that's awesome. Um, I think, it, it keeps that balance of people that maybe have an anxiety about feeling social in a bar, but don't want to, you know, uh, imbibe. Yeah. And honestly, the other day I had some hop water. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. It was better. It was more refreshing than a beer. I loved it. And you probably felt great the next day. I felt really good the next day. I, that's the thing. I mean, it is, you know, there are certain careers. Therapists, you don't go to the office and there's a bar. <laughs> right that like you don't I, you don't walk into a <laughs> clinic and they have a bar set up but when i engineered at a music studio interned there was a bar with right really great like it's just part of the culture 
at that particular studio. Um, and if you're a performing musician, you can't avoid being in places and people go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was say, and the hospitality of it, right? Yeah. Part of the reason there were drinks at that recording studio is like, well, you got people sitting here long hours or maybe you're having dinner. Right. You're going to be here a while. Have a drink. Like right. keep it, keep it, you know, friendly and keep everyone happy. Yeah. Um, and so it's very easy to, uh, fall into that comfort level. I do remember they also had a breathalyzer in their drawer in the kitchen. They, yeah, they did. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would say this, this feels like a particularly, um, potent issue for anybody listening who questions their relationship with substances. Um, you know, there's resources on the website to, 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 to look for support with that. And also, you know, like Josh said, the people who have Adam Olna, Mike Megan, Savannah, um, Savannah Dickhut of, uh, um, Burr Oak, or they come to mind, mm-hmm. Kirk Rawlings of Courtesy, you know, these are people who are so candid about it. And I know that part of the reason they were willing to be so candid is they wanted to share their story to be encouraging to others. Yeah. And, uh, I appreciate that. Let's talk about fame. My favorite. This was our most popular episode to date of Music Therapy, the episode where we talked to Nick Jwerden, who is an author, and he wrote the book Exit Stage Left, The Curious Afterlife of Pop Stars. And the book is basically um, anecdotes uh, based on some interviews he did with pop stars who you've probably heard of but are sort of past their peak fame moment. Right. A lot of interviews. A lot of interviews. It's jam-packed. It's a great book. Yeah. And it was so cathartic. You know, I think the whole, a lot of the journey for musicians, I I think, is about making it. Whatever that might mean to them. We'll we'll talk about that later. But he got into what happens after that. Yeah. That was an awesome interview. And it's a great book. I I love that book because it helped me evaluate how I see myself and, and my personal, you know, quote unquote career in music as, as weirdly kind of amorphous as that is, but also just seeing that there was a through line for so many artists. That's just kind of part of it is, I don't know how I ended up being so famous. Mm -hmm. And then the other part is, uh, as soon as I was famous, it was nothing but problems, you know? Yeah. And then some people, I think fewer people in the book kind of chased that than they did come to terms with, with it afterwards. I don't think there were a lot of stories in there of people trying to reclaim the fame once it was gone. I think a lot of people just either were suffering from problems that they experienced due to the fame Uh or were kind of like, how do I, how do I reclaim my life after having been, sacrifice to the the gods of celebrity you know i i I think that is right but i also think many of them and a lot of people that i interview say essentially the same thing is like if it happened again sure it'd be great yeah (laughs) and you know i feel like a lot of uh interviewees are also like i'm not counting on this becoming my main source of income but that would be great right so there's always that we want we want our work to be heard. We want it to be loved. Um, Seen. You know, when you go to a show and you realize that uh, most of the people in the audience know, know a song enough to sing along to it. Mm -hmm. um, And you look up and it's, you know, if it's not someone that necessarily expects that it's actually really kind of an amazing moment, you know, to kind of real, like for that person to realize like, Oh my gosh, like this is, this has meant something to people. This is something they know and they've, they've brought into their lives and that's gotta be a, a great feeling. I think that's a, that's something that I don't know if it's the fame as much as it is that feeling that I think a lot of people are chasing the connection, the the fact that what they've done has connected with people outside of themselves. That's the word I was thinking of too, that connectedness. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that, I mean, it's nice to play a show when you feel that, that energy that, you know, the energy between the 
band in the crowd and it seems like you're all kind of in that moment together and mm-hmm. that's those are much more uh memorable and fun experiences the ones where that are more adversarial where either something's going on with the sound or uh there's someone being crazy in the audience that's bothering you or everyone else uh that's there to see you um you know those th- there's like a dissonance there that you can't overcome yeah. It's kind of like if you go to a comedian, there's a heckler, right? It's always like, you're ruining this for everyone. Everyone's here and like vibing. And then this person's over here is just spoiling it for everyone. Yeah. Although a seasoned comic can oh, yeah. handle it. Yeah. It and is, even fold it into the act. Yeah. Although it's always seems like uh, it's a reluctant, like, well, here we go. Time to destroy <laughs> sure, this person. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I, I agree. I, I've, I used to think I would rather be famous than rich. Do explain. Um, I think specifically for that reason, I would always, I always used to think if I could like, I think this is when I was living in New York Mm -hmm. and I was working in uh, West village and I would walk around and be like, Oh, it'd be cool if like people knew who you were. Right. If you go into a thing, it's like, Oh, that guy, I like, I like his Why? Why would that be cool? Oh, it would feel good. Right. Because it would would mean what? It would be a jolt. I think it it would mean that what you, what you do is being perceived as good by others so you are good yes you're telling you're telling me i'm good tell me i'm good tell me i'm good Is that, <laughs> <laughs> okay I'll, I'll stop go ahead but now i would just like to have lots of money <laughs> and be obscure i would much rather just be able to buy whatever i want and go to barcelona next week if i wanted to <laughs> than have anyone know who i was You'd much ever. rather be peter thiel than the dalai lama oh well I guess so. <laughs> Maybe Peter Thiel was the wrong choice. <laughs> um, okay. Here's here's a topic that I don't know how to talk about, but when it's mentioned. Sometimes we do these live on Instagram and so people can kind of throw some hearts in the conversation Uh when they're, uh when they're responding to something. And the topic that I don't know how to approach, but feels like it's pretty influential is money. Sure. Meaning, well, in all, in all kinds of ways, but I think it's something that obviously is very personal. It's not something that we share I don't even know how much money my brother makes. It's my brother. Right. Uh, Me either. My sister bought a house. I'm like, how could she buy that? <laughs> yeah. So how it's like. How could she buy that house? But it really, you know, there are some people who um, everyone's born into different circumstances. And what kind of financial circumstance it's, you know, this is, this is, this is exactly why you can't. I mean, it's it's a delicate conversation. You don't want to overgeneralize. But somebody who's born into particular financial c- circumstances may feel more of a freedom to explore a music career. Sure. Uh, more of a security in doing that um, doesn't mean they're not hardworking. Right. No. Yeah. Right. I think you know it comes up a lot in comedy. I mean, uh, so many comedians you don't really realize that their parents were you know huge industrialists or something. Uh Um, And then you find out, you know, if you do find out, you might resent that because you're like, oh, of course, if I could just never have to have had a job and I can just go to uh, UCB classes all for my whole life and then meet these people and then get a show on Comedy Central. Great. I wish I could have done that. Yeah. I'm just as funny as Nick Kroll. Like, you're probably not. That's the thing, right? right? Because it's like it, it, uh, people might feel some resentment. Or, you know, it feel, it could feel unfair. Yeah. And, but it's also very much a mystery. People don't always know what's going on with people, but it's, it's there. It's, it's it's present. It's hard to talk about. Yeah. I would say it is culturally probably the biggest taboo that everyone shares Mm -hmm. is that you don't talk about how much you make. I mean, I remember at an old job I had access, I had like full QuickBooks access so I, I could have looked at everyone's paychecks. Yeah. I did not. Oh. Huh? Even if I was curious. The taboo was strong. Yeah. Well, also it's like, do, well, what will that information... How will that shape? Right. Do for me? Yeah. How it make me feel? How will it influence how I work? Is that a good thing? No, probably not. Um, so I didn't look. 
I was a good boy. You know, I, I guess, and even bringing this up, I think it's clear that I have unformed thoughts and it, this isn't meant to like poop on rich people. <laughs> rich people. Uh, that's not, that's not the point here. I think the point is more that there is a less spoken of force that's playing out in various ways in people's pursuit of an artistic career that has quite a bit of influence, but is really hard to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't even know how you really, because I think everyone's relationship with that is so unique, it would be hard to figure out how to how to really even address it. That's interesting. Yeah, I, I just want to acknowledge that it's there. I, I don't even <laughs> I don't even know what to do with it, but that's it's something that I think a lot of people think about, um, and and like I said, seem to respond to in the moments where it comes up in conversations. So it's more like an acknowledgement. This is there. Don't know how. Don't know how we could tackle it or what that would even look like. But would yeah. be remiss if we didn't acknowledge. It's that's interesting because uh, it can also come at from so many angles, right? Um, not just whether you have the ability to pay for studio time, right, mm-hmm. or have something done. And if, publicity. Right. Publicity is a great example. Yeah. Um, I know that. It, hmm, interesting. So many years ago. I uh, put an album with my friend Kristen under our duo Brash Flare. Uh-huh. You know, Bandcamp, there's uh, PR people that troll Bandcamp looking for, you know, just like pushing out like, hey, want to work with you? Will you? Pay us this much and we'll get you placements oh, or whatever. Oh, sure. Uh-huh. And I was in a position where I was like, all right, let's Try see it what out. happens. Yeah. Um, and so in the immediate, maybe like, six months or so that I did that, you know, they promoted one song. Um, it got reviewed on accelerator and then probably got four or five more reviews, uh, various places, which was cool. You know, you never know how genuine someone's being, if they're basically working with someone to, you know, get stuff to review. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they're being honest. You you know, I hope, um, I prefer, I like all sorts of critiques, even bad ones, but years later, we were approached by a movie company to license that specific song. Uh-huh. And I had to wonder, was that because it was in enough places yeah. and had enough attention on it that someone heard it and then was like, oh, this is great. And it got you know used in this movie. Yeah. Um, so it's like, huh, interesting. It was an experiment that I would have said was a failure, until maybe two years ago. Maybe it wasn't a failure. Maybe it was, you know, maybe it only happened because of that. I think that talking about the music industry is fascinating. And I I don't know how how much, I don't know. Maybe we should start another podcast. We talk about, (laughs) I don't know what we call. Or we could get, you know, maybe we can find someone um, that specifically does uh, licensing to interview. Oh, yeah. You know, either that, that, that is a person that licenses music or that someone that has had a lot of experience licensing their own music. Put it on the uh, chalkboard for we'll put, it's future on the interviews. It's, uh, okay. <laughs> a, couple, a couple other things. One is we pepper in therapist episodes. Yes. Those, to me... They are meant to be some psychoeducation, um, actually end up being kind of some of the most popular episodes. So I think they're speaking to some people, some listeners, um, and something I definitely want to continue to do more of. I don't know if I have any takeaway besides people seem interested in learning more about mental health. You know, the therapist issues are very directed at a certain, we've done seasonal affective disorder, we've done anxiety and social anxiety and COVID burnout and imposter syndrome, performance anxiety. There's so many topics yeah. uh, to cover here that I'm excited to enlist some some more therapists who are generous to give their time. If there's anything that you guys, the listeners, uh, want to learn more about, let me know. Shoot me an email and I will find a fellow therapist to speak to that. Yeah, I agree. I think I think those are really cool episodes i always come away with some food for thought about you know how i engage any of those topics i i actually you know when i listen back to them sometimes they can feel a little dense maybe too dense like there's a lot of information in them yeah that's true they can warrant a two or three listens honestly 
Yeah. And, or and if you maybe, didn't listen at half speed, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we break it up. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I, as someone who likes learning uh, and, and enjoys school and all that stuff, it, I, I, I like those. But, um, and I think they're very helpful and definitely want to do more of those down the line. Here's, yeah. here's a nice, anything, well, let me check, let me check in with you. Any other things that you'd like to uh, cover in the, in the vein of mental health, creativity, and music careers moving forward? Well, yes, uh, I definitely, what, what did I say the other day? I want to do an episode on negativity bias. Yeah, 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 negativity bias. What is negativity bias, Josh? Uh, simply put, it's um, the tendency to dwell on the negative or painful things um, and not give space to the positive. Um, it comes from, some people would probably say, an evolutionary thing where it's like, it's helpful to remember that it hurts to burn your hand so that you don't burn your hand again. Yeah. Um, but all the times you didn't burn your hand, it's like, who cares about that? So it's very easy to see a negative critique or to have a bad experience at a venue and to internalize that, dwell on it, let that grow inside you and not think about all the cool people you met or the fun time the or the person that said, I love that song you right. guys did um, because you're in your own head about this, uh, this negative aspect of it. Yeah. Totally. Uh, I think that's a great idea and and a very real thing to just kind of spin on that, even though there may be 10 positive things that could outweigh it. And I think that's something that is felt by a lot of people. Definitely. And kind of ties into all that social media stuff too, I'm sure. You know, we'll we'll end this on a a loving takeaway, loving reflection, which uh, for the, the podcast... Um, has a lot of Chicago-centric content. That's where we are, and that's the community we know, even though we reach out uh, beyond that. Um, but just to give a little love to the Chicago music community, um, over and over again, people talk about how much they love the Chicago music scene. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I agree with that. I think, you know acknowledging it's a big city there's there's lots of scenes but i think the overview is that people are friendly they're yeah. friendly they're willing to work together there's a lot of different styles of music and people are inspired by each other yeah um i've never I, maybe it's a midwest thing um but i've never felt that from band to band i've i've never felt adversarial or that there's some sort of competition. Um, it seems like a kind of rising tide lifts all ships mentality here. Yeah. Um, because the more that people enjoy going out and being around each other, and the more that you can mix your fans with my fans, um, it only does good for everybody. And I think that's one, one of the things I've loved about listening to the episodes is realizing that there's so many artists that I've never heard of because that Venn diagram of scenes has yeah. not connected with mine. Um, but then also hearing people that I maybe are new to me, shout out people that I know very well. I'm like, Oh man. So they like them too. Like I didn't realize they even were, you know, they yeah. even knew each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. Chicago is a, a great, a great music city and it's a great place to try something new or to try to, you know, build, build a following, you know, uh, whenever people talk about going on tour, it seems like it's nothing but, um, well wishes and support and how can people get the word out for others and stuff like that. Totally. So very, very, very happy to be here. This is the best city. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I've lived in a lot of places. You have. It's, you know, I think something about Chicago is that it's not an inexpensive city by any means, but I think it is more possible to be a music and afford the space that musicians require you, you need space. You need to be able to make noise and set up your gear and all of that. And, you know, you can, you can find that here. Um, and, and that I think gives rise to also just people being attracted to the city and, um, you're entering a very large community, but there's also space and you're not spending, you know, 60 hours a week working a day job just to pay for your place. Uh, right. Yeah. And then then exhausted and unable to work on music as a result. I I am grateful for how friendly and open the scene is here. I'm I'm grateful um that people have been really excited about this podcast yeah. and really supportive of it. And um 
yeah, thank you guys for listening and sticking with us. And please send some ideas if there's something or somebody that you want us to talk to. Please send it my way, uh, musictherapypodcast.com. Just ha- after doing a hundred episodes, yeah. What's the grade you're gonna give yourself? On <laughs> for what? How'd you do? How oh God. <laughs> um, I think it's going. I, I think it's going well. Honestly, it's been, you know, something about when I work on music, I will, as you know, spend a long time on decisions or second guessing things or mm-hmm. trying things out. Mm-hmm. And the podcast has been fun in the sense that I make decisions very quickly and do them right away without yeah. even the decision to do it in the first place was like, I have this idea. The next day I fired up the camera. Uh, it's going to be called this. That's what it's going to be called. And it's been fun as somebody who enjoys making things to approach a creative project with a, have an idea, do it. Do you find that, you know, this started during COVID lockdowns mm-hmm. and it was, done kind of as a way to keep going and connect with people and, and keep talking about music, even if we weren't playing music live and seeing shows now that, you know, things are opening up and you know, it's, it's still rough out there. It's still rough when, you know, you're going to play a show and then the band, three of the five people in the band have COVID. (laughs) It's like, Oh, well no show. Um, but now that you're, you know, able to kind of expand out, and talk to people more about just like how they're experiencing COVID. Do you find that, you know, it's been more reward, it's been more rewarding to talk to people? That's a good question. I, I, uh, it's fun to be able to explore things outside of COVID, but I would say, I I mean, this genuinely, I, I think connecting with people and really getting to know them as human beings instead of just what I see on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And I mean, selfishly, listening to how people do this and the ways that they struggle and the ways that they succeed, all of it, it just makes it feel more possible. Yeah. When you've heard how other people do it and what they've gone through and the work they've put in, sometimes you, you know, I've said this before, but you, you, you would see an album fully formed and it's like, how did you make that? And how did you go through everything? And so seeing the inner workings of people, um, no matter where they're at and whether that's coping with COVID or, or now that they're getting back out there, uh, is, is very satisfying. And as a musician myself, it is very encouraging and inspiring. I like that. Uh, all right. Well, I think, I think we've, we've reflected. Yes. I feel reflected. I I feel reflected. (laughs) Um, yeah. Thanks, Josh. Yeah. Thanks for coming over. Here's to another 100 episodes. Another 100 episodes. I'm down. Let's do it. (laughs) Like Josh said, let's do 100 more. I hope you guys are doing well. I want to thank everyone who's been a huge support to music therapy along the way. Josh, Sully, Colin, my brother, David, the Chicago Reader, Cafe Mustache, my mom. And of course, you guys, everybody who tunes into the show, that keeps us going. Share the show with somebody else if you get something out of it. The song in the background right now is called Stay. It's uh, the last track off that album I referred to earlier, Chaos the Diva. I definitely need to visit my band camp to find it. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis of Local Universe, and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. We'll be back next week. Peace and love until I see you again. Oh, my God.